The reading this morning is taken from John. It's um, chapter 14, and it's verses 15 to 27. And you'll find that on page 1082 of the Pew Bibles. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Bible. We pray that the Holy Spirit would transform us so that we can understand it and apply it in our lives. Amen. Well, as Ed has already said, this is the last of our series of sermons about the Bible, at least in the morning, though we do have that uh, one uh, open to questions coming shortly. Uh, And I'm going to be focusing on the issue of the relationship between the Holy Spirit and the Bible. Now, what that means is I'm not going to expound that passage that you've just heard read. I'm simply going to focus on those aspects of it that are relevant to our subject. And it does mean that I'm going to leave out some important stuff. And if, when you were listening to that, you thought, oh gosh, I'd like to talk about that or think about that, then please do come and have a word afterwards. But for the moment, I would just like you to put yourself in the place of the disciples. Remember, it was the Passover week, but they were in the upper room with Jesus, a private room, having a Passover meal. Outside, there was all the excitement of the festival. But inside, there was a slightly uneasy atmosphere, maybe slightly understates it. Uh, the meal had started by Jesus 
washing his disciples' feet, which puzzled at least some of them and suggested something wasn't quite usual. Then, of course, Judas suddenly left the meeting, doubtless leaving an air of some tension. Then this was meant to be a Passover meal, but Jesus changed all of the words. Same actions, bread and wine, but he said that the bread symbolised his body given for them, and the wine, blood, his blood, shed for them. And perhaps most disturbing of all, Jesus said that he was going away. He was going to leave them. The disciples were certainly confused, clearly somewhat nervous, and if you think about the implications of what Jesus said, clearly actually rather low. What was going to happen to Jesus? What was going to happen to them once he had gone? Now Jesus, of course, recognised that. Do not let your hearts be troubled, he said. Trust in God, trust also in me. That's John 14.1. And having said that, he said a number of other things which were designed to help them. And specifically, he said two things Uh, that were designed to reassure them that he wasn't going to abandon them. First of all, he said, I'm going to send you another counsellor. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. That's verse 16. Second, he said they'd see him again. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Now, that second thing uh, appears to be an allusion to the resurrection, and clearly it's very important, uh, but it's not our subject for today. What we need to focus on is the first of those promises. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever. Uh, When we see the word counsellor or hear it, I suspect we think of somebody who we can just contact from time to time and ask for a bit of advice. That's not what this means. The the underlying Greek word, parakletos, has a far broader meaning. It it refers to somebody who's an advocate, somebody who is actually a, a general helper, somebody who strengthens you. Uh, In fact, I I suspect the best way of understanding the meaning of, of, of this is to focus on that little word, another. I will, you will be sent another counselor. You see, what Jesus was saying was, I know I've been with you and you've come to rely on me. You've come to rely on my advice, my guidance, my instruction, my support. And I know that because of that, you're, you're actually worried that I'm going away. But don't worry. Just as I have been your counsellor, God will send another counsellor. Someone to replace me. Someone to do what I have done for you. And who is that counsellor? Well, of course, verse 6 to 17, the spirit of truth. Uh, the, the, the spirit who reveals the truth. The spirit who communicates the truth, who manifests truth, the Holy Spirit, of course. By the way, just in the margins, do note the Holy Spirit is referred to as he 
and him, despite the fact that the underlying word spirit is neuter. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. What Jesus was saying is, I, God the Son, have been with you, and I will ask God the Father, and he will send God the Holy Spirit to replace my presence with you. But what specifically was Jesus saying the Spirit would do? Well, take a look at verse 26. All this I've spoken while uh, with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, Jesus was saying to the disciples, the Holy Spirit would do two things. First, teach them all things. And second, remind them of everything that Jesus had said to them. Now, look, when Jesus says the Holy Spirit will teach them all things, he clearly doesn't literally mean stuff their minds with knowledge of everything it's conceivably possible to know. I mean, imagine I was in the church looking after it and Eddie came in and it was absolute chaos in the church. He might say, what on earth's going on? And I might say, don't worry, I'll explain everything. Now, I wouldn't mean literally, I'll explain the whole meaning of the world, etc. Eddie's not interested in that. Eddie was interested in what's happening now. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was saying he would, he would lead them and that they would understand all the things that pertained to what they were talking about. Actually, uh, the conversation, the discourse between Jesus and his disciples, of course, went on quite a long time in that upper room. And sometime later, Jesus returned to this subject. This is John 16, 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Actually, it says all the truth which stresses the specific nature of what's in in mind. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to my Father is mine. That's why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. You see, what Jesus was saying is the Holy Spirit would come and lead them into a full knowledge and understanding of him. A full knowledge and understanding of his, his mission, his nature, and his significance. And part of that was reminding them of what Jesus himself had said to them while he was present with them. I... Uh, I, I, I don't know whether when reading the uh, uh, New Testament you've, you've ever thought, gosh, it is quite surprising that the disciples were able to remember all of this, to write it down. Now, there is actually a rather prosaic explanation for some of the memory. Don't forget Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He would have repeated the same stories and things over and over again. He went from village to village to village, and he'd have said the same things. So they'd have had plenty of opportunity to get to know the stories and and his teaching. But more fundamentally, the reason they were able to remember these things is because uh, God was fulfilling that promise 
that they would have the Holy Spirit with them to bring to their recollection those things that Jesus had said. Uh, You might also sometimes read some of the New Testament and think, wow, these guys were untrained, unschooled fishermen and others. How on earth did they write this kind of thing? Well, we can exaggerate the degree of ignorance of some of them. Uh, They they certainly spoke at least two languages and uh, uh, may even have have had a third. But, But actually, much more fundamentally, the reason we have things like John's Gospel with all its profound thought or the epistles of Peter is because God did send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit did illuminate their understanding and did enable them to come into a knowledge of all things relevant for what they were doing. Now, of course, in doing that, uh, God wasn't simply benefiting the first disciples, the apostles, nor was he simply benefiting those who heard them preach. He was benefiting us. He was benefiting everyone who has come after them. Because, of course, that understanding, those recollections, those things that the Holy Spirit led them into, are recorded in here, in the New Testament. Uh, Peter, writing about the Old Testament, the Scriptures as he had them, said this, "'No prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man.' But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's 2 Peter 1.21. And of course, as Matt pointed out two weeks ago, Matt Baker, uh, Paul said that all scripture, by which at that time he was referring to the Old Testament, is God-breathed. It derives from the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the key point. What, What we're hearing today is that's not just true of the Old Testament... It's true of the New Testament as well. What we have here is the Holy Spirit-inspired communication of God. Now, when I was preparing this, I thought, actually, isn't that a big enough point for one sermon? Shouldn't I sort of finish there? Um, And it is. It's 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 a point that it's well worth just dwelling on, even if you've known it for years, just think about the enormity of what we're saying there. And I suspect it will rather rebuke our casual approach to reading the Bible. But it is a a very big point. But I have to move on. There is a second point that is really important as well, And Eddie actually has already alluded to to it with his magical Bible a few moments uh, ago, which I was hoping he was going to leave up here so that I could actually find out how... It's up there, isn't it? Uh, Here's the second point. The second point is this. Just as the disciples needed the Holy Spirit to give them a deep understanding of the significance of the events they were witnessing to bring to their recollection what Jesus had said, and to do all the other things that underlie the production of the, of, of the Bible. So we need that same Holy Spirit to enable us to understand the Bible and to apply it in our lives. 
Let's look at that for a moment. Um, First, a negative. The point is not that the Bible contains some secret messages and we need the Holy Spirit, as it were, to reveal them to the initiated. No, that's not Christianity, that's Gnosticism. The point is actually far simpler, and it's this. The Bible tells us that our sin, our wrongdoing, doesn't just mar our actions, it mars our understanding as well. Uh, You may recall back in late February, early March, we looked at John chapter 12, and Jesus explains that people's understanding is marred there. Uh, Paul makes the same point in 2 Corinthians 4. And think about the number of times that Jesus accused people of being blind, blind to the truth even though it was staring them in the face. And we don't have to be Christians to recognize this, even though we may have a fuller understanding of its connection with sin. Just think about modern psychology. Modern psychology has been confirming for some years that a lot of our beliefs and understandings aren't nearly as rational as we would quite like to believe they are. How many of us have either seen in others, or perhaps if we're particularly self-aware, seen in ourselves that our understanding of things conforms rather conveniently to our own predilections and character. The truth is that we are blinded by sin, and we need to be freed from that. We need to have our eyes opened so that we can see not what's between the lines in the Bible, not some secret hidden message in the Bible, But what's there? Even though it challenges us, even though it challenges our lifestyle, challenges our views, challenges our understanding, we need the Holy Spirit to break through our sin and enable us to see God's word to us. That's the first point. The second point, though, is this. We also need the Holy Spirit to take that and enable us to understand its application in our lives. When we open this book, we don't see something that says, Dear Richard, here's the message to you on the 13th of May 2018. We don't see something that immediately relates to our, uh, our, our specific circumstances. Now, of course, what we do get is instruction and guidance, and we need to relate and apply that to our own situation. We need, in other words, to take that God-inspired word and relate it to our particular situation. And to do that, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, Just one word of warning in this. I know I've given this word of warning before, but it is really important. Uh, We sometimes hear people talk about what a particular passage of the Bible means for me or means to me. I sometimes loosely use that phrase. And and actually, it's it's meant in a perfectly reasonable way, but there is a danger underlying it. And the danger is the danger of subjectivism. There is a danger that we're using it to say, well, well, this is what it means to me, and it might be different 
for you. The problem with that is, again, that's not a Christian approach to the Bible. It's actually a postmodern approach to the Bible. Uh, It's something that uh, even secular people 50 years ago wouldn't have done. What it's saying is that the text may have no fixed meaning. Its meaning is established by the reader. And we need to be careful of that. No, we're not seeking what the Bible means for me in a subjective way. What we're seeking is the application of the objective word of God here to ourselves and our circumstances. And once again, to do that, we need God's help because we won't do it on our own. We, we, we are, don't forget, marred by sin. So how does the Holy Spirit do that? Well, in many and various ways. I, I confess, I sometimes get a little irritated when people say things that imply that there's always a one-to-one correspondence between what we read in the Bible and what immediately happens in our lives. Do you know the kind of person who says, um, so what have you done today to implement what you read in the Bible this morning? Um, It's not as simple as that. Although I stress, there may be those connections, and we should always be open to those. Uh, Back in March, I was reading through Ezekiel, and I was reading one or two chapters uh, a a day. I confess, when I got to the end, I read four uh, straight through the description of the temple at the end. is quite tricky. Um, But I eventually got to chapter 33, and I sat down, and I was going to read the whole chapter. But I read the first nine verses and stopped. The first nine verses are about the watchman and watchman warning about danger and how if a watchman sees danger and warns about it and people take no notice well that's their fault but if a watchman sees danger and doesn't warn then that's their fault and it's about the spiritual application of that to teachers and leaders and I just stopped because it was so relevant to a meeting I was going to have an hour later I was going to have a meeting to discuss a particular situation and I just read it and I thought, that's relevant. And I, had, I prayed about it, I read it again, I thought it through and I didn't read the rest of the chapter that morning. That does happen and we should always be open to that possibility that God wants to speak to us that directly through, through his word. Uh, sometimes, of course, we get a flash of inspiration from the Holy Spirit um, uh, but it doesn't have immediate application in our lives it may well have profound longer-term application. My best example of that is still something that happened to me back in the spring of 1986. Uh, I was going to speak on Ezekiel chapter 10. Now, I... No, Isaiah chapter 10. Sorry, Isaiah 10. Now, I had read Isaiah chapter 10 many times previously. But I read it on this occasion, and I got to verse 5, and it just leapt off the page. Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger. Now, sitting there now, you might think, gosh, I'm glad Richard was inspired by that, because, uh, uh, you know, I'm not. No, but I saw for the first time what it was saying. God, and and it, it has to be seen in context, in fairness, God was using the enormous evil of a pagan king to work out his own purposes. And for just like in a flash, I suddenly saw the majesty and sovereignty of God in the world. 
And it transformed my understanding of God. When I talked previously about God being supreme and all those things, I meant it. But it was that that finally made me realise just how fundamental this was. And that has been of huge importance in my life. Uh, the, the confidence of my trust in God over uh, the last 30 years. But those flashes, those flashes of understanding, of immediate relevance, are very important. But, but actually, I, I, my own experience, they're not the main way God has worked. The main way that God has worked through his Holy Spirit is just continually, day by day, transforming my understanding, my actions through the, through the Bible, through reading the Bible, through praying it through, through understanding it. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, said Paul. Grow in grace, uh, said Peter. We, we, we need to do that. And the way that that happens is by the Holy Spirit taking God's word and working in us so that we can understand it and apply it to ourselves. It's very important to note that what we have here is the Spirit providing the Word and working through the Word. Sometimes there really is a false dichotomy between the Spirit and the Word that we hear. You do hear some people talk either expressly or by implication as though all that mattered was the Bible. Got that? That's all we need to live our lives. The trouble with that is, it first of all fails to understand the nature of the Bible, but second, it completely underestimates the impact of sin in our lives. It assumes that if we're given this, we're all fine and can just get on with it all by ourselves. And the Bible itself says we can't. But conversely, there are those who, uh, at least again, either expressly or by implication, seem to think that actually the Bible's all a little bit boring and actually all written, and, and actually what we really need is the Spirit. In fact, some have over the years even quoted to me, the letter kills, the Spirit makes alive. It's a false application of that, of that verse. You see, the trouble with that is, if you take that attitude you are not using the Spirit's main way of guiding and transforming us. The Spirit inspired this, and it is the same Spirit who takes it and applies, us to our, to, it applies it to us. There isn't a division between the two things. The Spirit is working in and through God's Word. Let's, let's pull back a bit. Um, have you ever uh, ever wished that Jesus was here now with you? You know, just sort of thought, oh gosh, if only Jesus was here and could explain this to me or, or uh, guide me, etc. Have you ever wished that? I, I think a number of Christians do. And, and actually, it's perfectly understandable. It's understandable, but the Bible tells us it's misguided. Because you see... If you are thinking that way, and I have from time to time, uh, you are really saying the same thing as the disciples were. The disciples were really distressed that Jesus was going away, thinking, I'm going to be on my own, and, and we're doing the same thing. And you see, Jesus said to his disciples, no, 
it's good for you that I go away. That's at the beginning of John chapter 16. And he says the same thing to us. And the comfort that he gave to his disciples is broadly the same comfort that he gives to us. He has given us the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit inspired the prophets and the apostles to produce the New Testament. Sorry, the whole Bible. Prophets, the Old Testament, to produce the Bible. And that same Holy Spirit is available to us, working in us, to overcome the effects of our sin, illuminate God's word, grant us understanding, and and help us to apply it in our lives. To use Jesus' words right at the end of our reading today, uh, we don't need to let our hearts be troubled by the fact that he isn't here. We, We don't need to be afraid. Because, again, using Jesus's words, he hasn't left us as orphans any more than he left the first disciples as orphans. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to take reading and really absorbing the Bible really seriously, recognising as we read it that it is the inspired word of God. It's right to call it the word of God. Indeed, it calls itself the word of God because it is inspired by the Holy Spirit. But second... We need to seek the help of the Holy Spirit so so that we are transformed in the way that we are asked to be transformed. If we do that, then we have no need to be fear. We have no need to be troubled. God has promised to guide us, and he will. Let's do that.